Hey, Richard, real quick, there's been something we've been lacking on because of our production schedule that has gone on unsaid for too long. And I want to make sure that we can uh, call out the people that have provided us some much welcome feedback over the last year and a half that we've been doing this show. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, let's just be clear about this. I mean, part of the reason that it's been lacking is because we've been lacking in feedback, too, but... Recent efforts to get that feedback seem to have paid off. Yes, uh, we've received several emails. Uh, Brian Spencer, um, uh, Lazy, and Mike. I'm going to go with that because that's what I can see in my email window right now. Uh, they've all given us Wait, some feedback. There, there's somebody called Lazy? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the person's La- name? Lazy Days. All right. Yeah, we'll go with that. Cause why all right, not? cool. Yep. <laughs> But we didn't want to go any further because we re- we are releasing so far after we're recording. We don't want to have people wait until the till season eight before they give you know before we tell them, hey, we received your feedback from season six. Um, but we we wanted to say thank you, and we welcome all these all the feedback we've been getting, all the retweets and the comments on Twitter, things like that. It's really appreciated, and we welcome all of it to come along. We are here. We are here. We are here. <laughs> Uh, yes. And if you have any questions or any comments or you want to start disputing theories, by the time you hear this, Richard will have seen the last episode of season seven and be caught up so we can go full spoilery zone since we'll all be on the same page. So at this point, if you're hearing this, give us all of your theories. Give us the, the best of your ideas. Don't give us a bunch of YouTube videos to link to and, and go watch. Give us what you think is going to happen or where we've been wrong. And because we've put some theories out there, Jenny and I especially put some theories out there lately that could very well have gone very wrong by the time you hear this. Wow, we have some like crazy serious story arc time warping going on here. But that's okay. That's okay. It's all going to work because once we get to season eight, we'll be tracking it on time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and we are looking to do that uh, within about 30 hours of the show coming on the air. Uh, hopefully this show will be in your feed and we'll, we'll get, keep that as up to date as I possibly can. <laughs> so we, dude, you have been on it to get these out, to get these out. I tell you, we've had this lackadaisical thing like, we, oh, we have over a year. And the next thing we know, it's like, crap, April 14th is a week away. <laughs> well, to be honest, it was 12 days and we had 10 episodes in the backlog plus two more to record. So, or 14, whatever it was, it was, we had very little room to, to finagle. And I just started doing nothing else. I turned down all the other things that I could be doing to get these out. And and a lot of that is this big push by people that have been giving us feedback lately. So now that we know that you're out there and you're listening, by all means, we want to give you give you the show that you have been hanging out for uh, because we are just as excited as you are about season eight. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About Thrones, where we talk about the TV show Game of Thrones as it relates to um, the zeitgeist of the day, the novels uh, in the Song of Ice and Fire, 
And through the experiences of our Game of Thrones novice, Sir Richard of, I think, River Run, but maybe Atlanta. I'm not sure. <laughs> Indeed, this week it is of Atlanta. Sure, I'll, I'll be sort of in Atlanta. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so this episode, we are going to uh, go without Jenny again. The faceless lady has once again gotten stuck in the... Uh, let's just say she's at the L.A. Crossroads and we'll go with that because <laughs> she keeps ending up there for no reason at all. Um, we're going to talk about episode seven of season six called The Broken Man and then season eight, but not then, probably at the same time as season eight entitled No One. And this was these two episodes just as an overall um, a, a lot of character development, a lot of story development. It they were shorter episodes, which I think they played the right the right card on. And we really kind of further the story along in a lot of little ways that are understandably important. So many little things happening in these episodes. It was crazy, and first cold open that we've had in quite a while. Uh, yeah, and, and it's a cold open that kind of gives you a surprise and kind of gives you a little bit of a little flavor of what's to come with uh, Sandor Clegane, the Hound. Oh, by um, the way, called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but did you know how he would end up uh, coming back to the show? Though, I mean, it's even if you expected the Hound to return, you couldn't have expected how. Yeah, I didn't expect him living in some hippie commune. I mean, that's understandable. <laughs> okay, so I have on my notes, uh, we are somewhere. That's where we are. That's where that's where the story starts is somewhere. Yep. Um, Sander Cogane lives, the hound, of course. Um, he's part of a commune. He's found a friend, if you will, someone he can identify with, someone who he almost like, um, I won't say immediately, but by the end of episode seven, he kind of looks up to him. He's... He he accepts him as as a possible person to give him some guidance. Correct, and he he seems a changed man of sorts. He's still a strong man. He is still imposing. He is still quiet, mm -hmm. but he seems to be trying to fit in as part of this communal village mm -hmm. that he's helping to build. Yeah. And it's, it's good to see this side of him because even though he doesn't lose his mean demeanor per se, he, he opens up a little bit and he's not just the, the distraught, angry, I'm going to kill everyone and smash everything. I'm out for myself. Uh, hound that we've come to know and, and appreciate. Well, he, at least not for about maybe 50 minutes. Right, right. Because um, right as he's starting to get comfortable and spread his wings and, and understand his place in this commune and how things are going to be going, uh, he's down at the river, I believe, cutting some grass or some reeds or whatever. He comes back to the commune and finds that everyone is dead and the man he was looking up to is hanging from the building they were trying to build. Now, this isn't entirely a surprise, right? Because they were approached by three men on horseback. Trying to who, extort him, yeah. Yeah, who seemed like they were going to be up to no good. And the hound, well, so 
you know, the, the man in charge of this village used uh, the carrot to try and just shoo them off. Hey, you know, we're minding our own business and being peaceful and building a village. Would you like to have, we have food. Would you like to join us? Yeah. And the hound decides to look threatening instead, decides to impose himself and, and maybe they shouldn't be getting involved here. So Mm -hmm. they ride off and uh, it's obvious who did this when he goes and finds everyone dead. Yep. Next thing we know, the hound is out to avenge. <laughs> yeah, and light foreshadowing here. Um, he'd, it'd been mentioned how well he swings the axe and, and how they don't have any steel in this little village. And, well, that's the, the only steel he can find, so the hound grabs the axe and heads off. <laughs> Pun intended. And, and finds... <laughs> Nicely done. And finds four men on a path. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't necessarily associate any of these four with the people that attacked them, but somehow they were. Two of them were, and there's one missing. Okay. So two of the All three right. men were in this little group of four where they're basically playing practical jokes on each other and cajoling each other back and forth. And the hound walks up and just dispatches them. Just, eh, this is over. Yeah, they're all gone. They're yeah. all gone. And, uh, but, you know, there's still one missing, still one that he needs to go get. So he's still looking and eventually comes across a group of men that he recognizes. <laughs> yeah, the Brothers Without Banners, the... Uh, uh, the, the ones that had already captured him and tried to kill him once where he found Arya and they escaped and um, they are the people responsible for those three uh, riders that came to the village um, according to what they said anyway and now he sees the last of the individuals along with two other individuals about to be hung by the Brothers Without Banners. That's a little confusing. Okay, fine. Come to find out those those individuals were not uh, they were solely in the good name of the Brothers Without Banners. Of course, that good name didn't matter to Sandor Clegane, but he 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 cons him into letting him take out two of them, and uh, we'll call it a day. And I think it's really funny that he's thoroughly disappointed and attempts to convince them otherwise when he is only permitted to cut the rope. Or not cut the rope, sorry, to kick the, the log cans that they're sitting on, the logs that they're sitting on, so that they fall to their deaths. He really wants to chop them up. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'll just get this one. It's like, no, you won't. Okay. Can I, how can about I, just a hand? Yeah, can I take off a hand? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, we already, we already, we already uh, gave you permission to take two of the three. Uh, you'll do it our way or you won't do it. And he's like, fine. So he just kicks a couple of the logs and, uh, has at it, and those three are now gone, and he's hanging out with the Brothers Without Banners, and they they want him to join because they're going to they're they're talking about heading north to fight the army that is coming. Yeah, how odd! Like this random group of ne'er do wells <laughs> is is on a mission to go fight the big scary army that everybody's talking about like what there are 
less than a dozen of you. <laughs> but they got one guy that's really good with the bow, I mean, <laughs> and, and another guy with the flaming sword that doesn't die. Come on, I mean, they, you know, they're they're doing better than the the average dozen. Well, shit, maybe Sansa should be recruiting them. <laughs> right? Yeah, that'd be... that. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. And in the books, this this whole... Well, in the books leading up to this point, because this part wouldn't be in the books, um, leading up to this point, the Brothers Without Banners kind of changes... This storyline with uh, Brothers Without Banners changes completely. I'll just put it that way. There's no point in going into it because it doesn't matter to you. <laughs> um. And uh, yeah, so th- that's pretty much the end of the Hound storyline. It is. And since we just spoke of the Hound, do you want to speak of Arya or do you want to leave her until later? Uh, no, I, we can we can do Arya because Arya I thought was fascinating. This is the the involution of Arya 3.0. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, you could call it that. Okay, well... <laughs> See, I didn't see it that way. I didn't see it that way at all. So it's a little bit more of the same, interspersed with some interesting moments between her and uh I can't I don't know if I have her name right, Lady Craft or something like that. Yes, Lady 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 Oh we'll we'll go with Lady Craft. Lady Crane. Crane, there we go, yes. The woman who was playing Cersei in the play. The one so, that she was supposed to kill a while yeah, back, yeah. But but she didn't. So so first off, we have this thing where Arya is seen paying for passage home. Mm-hmm. And then once again, she's encountering the waif, who this time does her up really bad. Like, stabs her to the point that we think that she could probably die. But of course she doesn't die. She falls into water. She immediately kind of pops her head out and you can see that she's going to survive this. Well, I wouldn't go immediately because initially she, the, the wave stabs her and then twists the knife while like whispering to her. And Arya jumps off the little bridge into the water. And then it, I think it's a full cut scene later where she actually climbs out of the water onto the steps somewhere else in Bravos, and because um, she didn't get pop up right away because the wave would have kept following her and she eventually oh, point. yeah yep. she, she makes her way eventually to Lady Crane who um, patches her up gives her some milk of the poppy lets her sleep that kind of stuff and uh, that's that's where that that's where episode 7 or yeah where episode 7 ends and at the beginning of episode 8 we end up with Lady Crane and Arya having a little chit chat and well, we we end up with uh, with Lady Crane coming in from from uh, uh, doing a show or whatever. She wants to go get more milk of the poppy. She climbs a stool to get up to the top of the shelf and doesn't make it down alive because the waif has found her and smashes like you know sticks through her or the stool or whatever. And this wakes up Arya. Arya looks over at the waif and the waif says, "See, if you had done what she was supposed to do, she wouldn't have died so painfully." And, and put- so here we are again. So we have this awesome moment where we're doing some character development with Arya. Arya, for the first time in, I think, four years, five years, is starting to look like a pretty girl again. 
Like she's she's been so you know at first she was pretending to be a boy then she was just kind of filthy then she's been this in in almost like um kind of monastery garb if you will and now you see her and she seems like she's developing like a person she looks a little bit more relaxed when Mm -hmm. she's talking with lady crane she actually smiles a little bit and has wonder in her eyes, this childhood wonder about what's west of Westeros. Yeah, it was, and it was that scene. It was that exact scene where I was like, wow, this is a completely different person than we've ever seen before. Yeah. We've never seen that person. And I loved it. And at least not since the very beginning of, of season one, maybe the first couple episodes before. Um, before the Hound becomes part of Arya's story. Uh, yeah, I, I still don't think that we ever saw her that way. Like that, that um, not carefree, that's the wrong word, but with her guard down. That's fair. And that's how she seemed to be there. And I just, I, I really liked that aspect of her that I felt was new and different. But of course, no, the wave has to ruin it again. And yeah, as you said, this woman's kind of like the most contorted death combination with a bench I've ever seen. I couldn't quite tell where the woman was and where the bench was, but Right, and you, it wasn't grotesque to the point where you saw like uh, uh, the the legs of the bench sticking up through her or whatever. They were kind of wrapped around her, but it was it was awful enough that you knew it was not a pleasant death. Yeah, no, not at all. And so Arya runs, and of course we have the waif chasing her in scenes that I can only and I described this in my notes as she ran like. The Terminator TX from Terminator Three. You talking about the wave? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was. It was kind of like Jason Bourne running from Terminator Three. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or, or Terminator oh, Two. Great. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It was. Arya is Jason Bourne. She's running through. She's doing tricks. She's sliding under carts and everything else, and she's jumping off of ledges. And the wave is just following her with the, like the no expression on her face at all. Yep, with with her arms and elbows going back and forth like a Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and this is this is where we the the only hint that we get on how much time has passed is that when Arya jumps off a ledge onto a staircase and falls, she starts bleeding again, which means that she had healed up at least to some point. So some time has passed between these scenes mm-hmm. uh, where she's been hiding out with Lady Crane enough for her to feel good enough to uh to to run some with this this stab wound um but Arya finds a way to sneakily get away um but not so sneakily that she leaves a uh, blood prints on the wall kind of leading the way f- to her little location and that's where the real surprise of this whole thing comes in because Arya leads her to a little room where she has hidden needle Indeed, and we get to see this amazing scene as she pulls Needle out, and you know, this is not going to go well. And of yeah. course, the Waif belittles it. That's not going to do you any good. He, oh. he, the Waif actually says, we've been here before. 
that, that's not going to do you any good because she tells her, uh, "Do you want to, you know, do you want to die on your knees or on your feet?" And that's an aria pulls out needle, and the, the waif is like, "Okay," and stands up, and then the waif is like, "Oh, we've been here before. This is not that's not going to help you." And what's aria do? So tell me what you thought of this scene because I was surprised by it, and I think it was brilliant the way they did this. Um, well, so we have to describe the room a little bit, don't we? Okay. This little room that, that Arya has found that she's hidden needle in is a room with no windows, only one door, a pretty much a clear room. It's basically a closet, if you will. And the waif in her, in her way, she closes the door behind her. So now the room is only lit by a single candle. Mm-hmm. And the first thing Arya does with Needle after she pulls it out is she slices the candle, thereby killing the light in the room. Now, Arya has already spent months blind. She's already mm-hmm. done this whole blind thing. And by killing the candle, she returns to a familiar territory for her and completely unknown territory for the waif. And remind me, when she was training... With the swordsman, mm-hmm. didn't she train blindfolded at one point? She did. Mm-hmm. So she's. This is something she's done a few times. She like she has experience not being able to use her sight because, uh, 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 oh, Cyril Farrell taught her to use her other senses, and then when she was blind, she honed that to a very fine art. So we get one of those moments where. The person who deserves it gets what she deserves. And we don't even know what happened right away. And that's one, nope. of, the, one of the beautiful things about this is uh, we just see it go dark. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The candle goes out. Scene ends. Done. Okay. All right. What's next? <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought, I thought the sequence of events was great. It was believable. As much as uh, someone running through after having been stabbed in the belly is believable at all, um, but I thought it was it was done perfectly. I thought it shot well. The, the, it, I, I, this is one of my favorite scenes because again, I, this is the this is the graduation of Arya. She has now completed whatever training she needed to go through, and she is now Arya three And so we are back at the house of black and white, and. <laughs> Jakin Hagar is walking through, notices some doors are open, which is not supposed to be how it is. Yeah, what's going on there? <laughs> he goes to investigate, and there's a bloody mask with like uh, the eyes poked out, and it's just, it's not a pretty scene. Uh, this brand new mask, still bloody, still dripping on one of the uh, uh, heads in the Hall of Faces. Mm-hmm. He and looks at it behind her. He, yeah, he he looks at it, and from behind him, uh, he hears the the Arya's voice. You sent her to kill me, didn't you? <laughs> and he's completely surprised, but at the same time, you can see on his face he knows exactly what's happening, and it, it's it's great. Well, and that's the interesting thing, right? He knows what's happening, and what he says to her essentially is that. She has now completed her cycle. She is. She has now reached where she needs to be. Mm-hmm. 
she indeed has no name. And, and she says... And, and the debt is paid, mind you, because remember, Jakin Hakar told the waif one way or another, a face will be added to the hall. Ah, yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. And so, she says... A girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell, and I'm going home. Yeah. And he gives this wry smile, this slight nod. She turns her... Of course, this is while she's holding Needle to his, to his heart. Um, he yep. gives a slight nod, uh, this wry smile. She drops... Or, well, lowers Needle, and then turns around and walks out. All right. So here's <laughs> where I land on all of this. There had better be some payoff or reason for this to have happened to develop her in a way that she otherwise wouldn't have brought to the next season. Because if not, this whole thing was a complete waste of time. Okay. Fair enough. And yes, it pays off. All right. It pays off extraordinarily well. Okay. So that's all of Arya's story on this. It pays off, yep. I promise you. And now we can move on to something else. Sister Sansa. Oh, Sansa. Well, I, th- I think before we get to Sansa, actually, we have a quick scene with John. John holds Congress with the Wildlings. He has Davos and Tormund with him, Tormund. trying to convince them that they should fight with John to take Winterfell back. Yeah. Tormund does his best. John says his words, and the Wildlings still aren't convinced until da, 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 everyone's favorite hero, Davos, comes in there and says, look, he he died because he helped you guys through. The least you can do is is give him, you know, g- give him a shot here. And here's my favorite part. Who's the first to say okay? <laughs> uh, that'd be the giant. Yep. And he didn't. He didn't even say any. He just says one word, John, John, and turns around <laughs> and walks away. Is it John or does he say Snow? I don't know. He says one or the other. But oh yeah, it might have been Snow. <laughs> yeah, and he just he he stands up, says it, and then turns around and walks away. And the other, there's like, all right, he's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, so good, so good. And again, it, it, it's not a lot, but it's. It's pushing the story forward, these little scenes at a time. Right. Right. And and these scenes, so we kind of have one after another where John and Sansa are both together and separately trying to appeal to everyone they can mm-hmm. to build their army. So the next scene has John and Sansa together at Bear Island. Yep. Trying uh, to get the support of House Mormont. Liana Mormont, who's named after Ned's sister. Um, this is the granddaughter, I believe, of uh, Lord Commander Mormont and the niece of Jorah Mormont, or uh, of uh, Jorah Mormont. Quite so, a precocious child ruler. She's she's not she's not pulling any punches. <laughs> nope, not at all. And she is not having it. And Ready for it? Who brings it home again? Da, 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 da. <laughs> Davos. <laughs> so should that be da, 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 Davos? <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, um, Davos steps in and has the the convincing remarks, and I, I don't remember what it was because the scene was. I, I I have a hard time remembering the scene in my head, and it's one of my favorites just because it's so powerful. And uh, I I don't know who who her name is, the actress that plays Lyanna Mormont, but she is man, she owns she owns the scene, and that's a lot with with John on the scene and Sansa and Davos all in the same area. And she owns this scene. Liana. She totally does. Yeah, she totally does. And she has the advisors in her ear. And at one point she puts them off because she wants to hear what Davos has to say. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is brilliant. It is such, such a good scene. And it totally pays off because she commits her men, all of them, their cause, all 62 of them. (laughs) Um, and, 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 re, and, 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 yeah. and as, as they go to rebuke that or rebuke it, um, she goes, we are a small house, but we are proud. And like, even with the small number, she's still this little girl. This she, I, She's got to be like 10 or 12 in the story. She is just, I'm here and I'm doing this. You know, it's, it's yeah. great. Oh, so good. Yeah. The writing Next is up. just amazing. House Glover. Um, not the same story here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Glover isn't having any of it. He doesn't, he, he's, he's, he's got a comeback for every remark John and Sansa make. Um, essentially they are no, no longer loyal to the Starks because the Starks are a dead line. That's, that's what he comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. They're a no. There and no. So the last we see of Sansa is her basically, despite John's guidance, using ravens to send messages out. Yes, Sorry. I keep on saying. Uh, it, it, was it John that that didn't think that she should do that? Yeah, I think. Well, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, because he he was saying that they they were others that they should not solicit. And she's like, no, like these people should be with my family. They, they should be supporting me. And so we assume that she's just sending letters out to those other houses. And that's kind of not where it's going to end, but we don't necessarily expect that one of them is going to go where it does. And I don't know if you want to go down that path now or if you want to do that later, but there's a bigger story brewing. Well, I will tell you that she only sends out one raven. Ah, okay. So that, that and I, I don't know if that's ever explicitly said in there, but that the results of it are that she sent out one raven. Okay. So that'll, that'll further confuse you, which I enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is her her having her own agency, right? This is her, um, part of her, her development. Yeah, she's willing to follow John, and she understands the, the guidance behind it. But when it comes down to it, she's Lady Stark. Right. You know, and she has to own the process. Yep. Yep. All right, where are we going next? Um, is that it for Greater Winterfell? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, I wrote Greater Winterfell because, well, they're, you know, that's not the city. <laughs> like, can, can they come like up the with the Greater name? Washington area. Yeah, can they come up with, the, I mean, they, they, can they come up with state names other than, you know, like they have River Run is in the Riverlands. Why do they have to have Winterfell in Winterfell? 
Like <laughs> it is confusing. All right. Um, how about um, King's Landing? All right. So Marjorie and the High Sparrow are having a chit chat where yeah. the High Sparrow essentially tells Marjorie that it's a, a bad thing for Lady Olena to have not been repentant thus far. Yeah. And she, at first, she seems like I get the feeling that she's pushing back a little bit, but then she kind of softens and they start to open up to each other. And you get the feeling that, huh, is she in his pocket now? Yeah. And and you're led completely to believe that for a bit too. Like it's not, it's pretty, pretty uh, uh, easily understood that, okay, well she's, she's been brainwashed. Like that's the only thing that you can think of with this. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, so she's quoting verses and <laughs> right. Right. And admitting to him that he, she didn't really like the poor. She, you know, was just helping to be, because it looked good. <laughs> right. Yeah. She was there for, for, uh, uh, for affect, not effect. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, this is a game that is very short lived though, because this obtuse threat to Lady Elena Tyrell, Tyrell, um, Marjorie responds to that and she goes and finds her, her, her grandmother and, consoles her a little bit and tells her kind of things are going good and you should leave the city and when she pushes back Marjorie hands her something in her hand squeezes her hand real tight all, all by the way like tall woman in witness yeah yeah the, uh, the 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 matron of whatever whatever is standing over like overbearingly won't let them get out of her sight yep um, it's it's that trust but verify thing right and she is not having any private conversations with anybody as far as this this oaf of a lady says so Marjorie gives her that and gives her like something in her hand you can kind of tell there's something there and then uh, uh, Lady uh, Tyrell walks out of the chamber looks around makes sure nobody's looking around or watching her and then she opens her hand and reveals that Marjorie's given her a drawing of a rose alright what's the significance of that I mean it was obvious that it was to tell her that I'm still in here and you saw also saw a moment of her eyes where she was telling her grandmother with her eyes, I mean it, get out of here. Yep. Yeah. Um, the rose. But what's is, the rose? The rose is the sigil of House Tyrell. Okay. So that's that would be like Jon Snow or that'd be like Sansa uh, sneaking a, a drawing of a wolf to somebody. It's just okay. her, just her her showing that she's still holding faith to the family. Okay. All right. Well, and her grandmother takes her seriously because next we see her, she's <laughs> talking to Cersei and saying, I'm out of here, woman. You should be too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, 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 uh, in no minor words, she's basically like, you know, you know what? We, you lost. And that's the only pleasure I get out of this is that you lost. Um, 
I loved the lines in this. As always, she had wonderful, wonderful lines in this. Like you just said, you've lost Cersei. It's the only joy I can find in all of this misery. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, the other is before that, as she and Cersei are, are bantering back and forth, <laughs> Lady Tyrell tells Cersei, I wonder if you're the worst person I've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> She says something like the Falwins always turn up in time or whatever, but yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. Lady Olena, she, she's not messing around. Like she's never had a soft word for anyone in her family or, or out of her family. It doesn't matter. Love it, her. And this is a great moment of frenemies, right? Because they have a common cause and Cersei tries mm-hmm. to leverage that. It just doesn't work. And Olena knows, Hey, if Marjorie's telling me to leave, it means it's time to go. Mm-hmm. But she's not going to tell Cersei that. She just gives Cersei the, the, the warning. Okay, well, you should probably leave too if you, if you have any common sense. Kind of almost saying, like, I know you don't. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and the, the look on Cersei's face is just priceless. Yeah. She's, she's completely taken aback and. She she feels deserted by her enemies even because Elena's like yeah you don't have any friends here you're surrounded by enemies are you just gonna go and kill thousands of people on your own because um, that's what that's what it's gonna take uh, you you don't have any friends you've been abandoned by everyone including Jamie he's not even here right now so what do you have left nothing you should leave well she has her son right she can count on her son. But, I mean, even according to what Elena was saying, that her son is even turned over to the High Sparrow. So the High Sparrow holds all the cards. Oh, right. And we learn that not 20 minutes later. <laughs> right. Cersei's requested by the High Sparrow. Oh, right. I forgot about this. Oh, this is so good. They come to take her. And <laughs> her, her nephew or cousin or whoever it is, basically comes to announce the decree that she is to come down there and she refuses to leave. She said, you said I could stay here. And, and, and he, she's told there was no such promise. Yep. And, and uh, have your man stand aside because they, they go to, to take her and the mountain stands in their way. And he says, uh, have your man step aside or there will be violence. And there's this long, pregnant pause, and it goes from him to the mountain down to Cersei, and kind of like this this really weird camera action. And Cersei, she's looking deadpan at the camera, like no emotion in her face at all. And she says, "I choose violence." And you know how this is gonna go. This guy, this 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 sparrow dude, this, these little this, oh, he grabs this this mace looking thing with these spikes, slams the mountain in the chest. The mountain looks down at it, doesn't even care, and just proceeds to demolish this dude. Yep, not even a flinch. Yep, I believe if I'm remembering this scene correctly, he basically ripped his skull off of his head similar to a scene that i seem to remember from robocop years back (laughs) yeah yeah it was uh, a cranial cranial removal procedure or like the predator likes to do Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, that didn't go well. And, you know, you might have thought that, well, you know, you have your whole group of thugs there. Come on at them. But they're like, yeah, maybe. Okay, maybe no. And that leads directly to the next scene. Right. Because Cersei right. finds out there's a royal decree and she wasn't invited. So she goes in and, and <laughs> she challenges uh, her uncle. Why wasn't I told about this? And he's like, um, there's going to be a royal decree. Now. In, in the throne room. <laughs> now. Like... She's just being disregarded by everyone. So then she goes to take her place by Tom inside. And he's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to go up, by, stand by my son. He's like, no, your place is in the galley, gallery with all the other um, high ladies. Loved it. Oh, Loved it. So then she's up Loved in the gallery it. with, with uh, the mountain. And Tom comes out and says, uh, it was royal decree that there will no, no longer be a uh, trial by combat. Oh, well, well first he says, uh, the... The trials of Loras Tyrell and Cersei Lannister, and he says Cersei Lannister like he doesn't even he didn't even call it, say his mother. I don't think. Right? No, he didn't. He didn't call her by name. Yep. And that these you know th- these will be held at you know whenever. Essentially, the first day of next month. Is oh, and by the way, we are no longer going to do this ridiculously brutal old-fashioned trial by combat anymore. Which was Cersei's ace in the hole. Yep. And, yeah, that's not good news. She's starting to get worried, and Creepy McCreepster reminds her, hey, remember that thing you wanted me to look into? I found it. Remember that creepy conversation I was having with those children? They're, they 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 learned something for me and brought it back to me. I was trying, I was trying not to mention the children, but yeah. <laughs> I gave them treats. They gave me surprises. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's okay. That's that's the end of King's Landing. We're we're left with River R- River the, Run. The the Riverlands where Riverlands. Uh, um, the Lannisters march towards River Run, which is the name of the city in the Riverlands. See, and then that's how it should be. They're, they're very similar, but there's a distinction: the Riverlands versus River Run. See, anyway, it's um, still confusing. Yeah, Jamie takes command of the fray forces of the siege. A um, couple nice scenes there with some some word jostling back and forth. Basically, the phrase are completely inept, and Jamie's not having it. Well, and they're basically trying to uh, like get their way into the castle by threatening to kill Edmure. By the way, he's alive. It, it was mentioned in a previous episode where Frey said, "Oh, how do you lose a city? Is it isn't." Did did you is, did it move? You know, and at the end of the scene, he's like, "Take Edmure and go show the Blackfish how we work, or whatever." So the Blackfish is Caitlin's uncle. Edmure is Caitlin's brother. So so wait. So during the whole red wedding thing, while all of his relatives were getting killed. He was just up doing the nasty with his new wife and didn't know anything else was going on? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the the things that happened at the, at the Red Wedding that aren't often discussed, the Blackfish escaped somehow. 
Well, obviously. And Ed Muir was, he seated a child and then was put in a prison cell. Okay. <laughs> All of this is news to me. Um, yeah, and Jamie meets with the Blackfish, who's in charge of River Run, and basically they just jostle back and forth and not a whole lot goes on there. Okay, fine. Well, yeah, and, and Jamie's basically uh, trying to uh, order him to surrender, and he's not going to do it. He has no interest in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, he says, I was born in this castle, and I'm prepared to die in this castle. And so the rest of this episode, anyway, is them kind of, staging and preparing their next step, but in walk Brienne and Pod. <laughs> and they arrive because they're they're there on behalf of Sansa to convince the Blackfish to bring his army north to help defend Winterfell or to recapture Winterfell. Hmm. And, and and they come up and they are taken into custody uh by the Lannister army and Brienne is taken into talk to Jamie and Pod gets a nice little lesson from Braun. You know, I noted the kind of sparring between Braun and Pod. It was it was almost kind of endearing. <laughs> you know? This is the most fatherly that Braun has ever looked. <laughs> it was just it was so bizarre. It was it was such a weird and yet endearing scene almost like you know a little bit like a reunion mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know like like it was like um i don't know maybe old fraternity brothers who haven't seen each other for a while yes exactly that's that's what i was going to say there it's almost like this this loose brotherhood but on the other side then we have Jamie and Brienne meeting in what has to be one of the most confusing political conversations I've listened to in a long time? <laughs> and how they managed to fit in this complicated, family-driven and oath-driven political conversation while also reinforcing how much they care for each other just blew my mind. Yeah, it is just excellent writing. It compresses a lot of information into a very short period of time that's fairly understandable because they don't there's not a whole lot of fluff to it. And I thought the most remarkable part was at the end when they're parting ways. Brienne goes to leave and she stops for a second. She looks back at Jamie and she says, "If you take if you try to take the castle and I'm still inside, I'm honor bound to defend uh Sansa's family. And doesn't he say, like, let's hope it doesn't come to that or something like that? Yeah. He, he, or, he, well, he kind of nods and she goes, that includes killing you if I have to. And he's like, well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah. And it, it was like, they're both honor bound. They both have these codes that they have to live by, but they still have this admiration for each other. That's It's just remarkable. It's beautiful. It is a great, great scene. Again, you see him in, uh, I was going to say a rare, but these days more frequent moments of sincerity. Mm -hmm. And her 
in an insanely rare moment where she is this close to breaking down. Like she, she's like quivering as the realization of what she just said to him hits her and she walks away. Yeah. Like she, she looks like she was fighting back tears. Yeah. And it, it's, these two have a kinship of sorts and it's not, it, it, it's not shallow. It's deep. They, like they, they genuinely care for each other on some level. We just don't know what that level is at this point, but you can see that it's sincere and it's, it's, it's real. So Brianna will have a better chance talking Blackfish into giving up the castle, right? Um, no. Oh. No. Not, a, not, a, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, Blackfish basically rebukes her the way that uh, that second house rebuked Sansa. Um, I don't know you. I don't know her. And I don't care. I'm not giving up my ancestral home. Yeah. So that didn't go so well. She keeps on trying. She doesn't give up easily. But Jamie has a... Um, Jamie has another approach in mind. He talks to Edmure and reminds Edmure that Edmure has a son that he can go and send for um, to throw into a catapult and launch at the walls. Now, you just cut right to the chase there. Because (laughs) the beauty of this scene is that Jamie comes in kind of acting all high and mighty. and, And I almost want to use the word pious, even though that's not the right word. Pompous. Pompous, yeah, but as in trying to do the right thing, like he's staging as if he's in, t- he's here to like save the day and make it all right. And we get this beautiful line from Edmure where he asks Jamie, "Do you believe yourself a decent man?" <laughs> I just loved that. I thought that was awesome because yeah. he knows full well that he's not. And yet we still get a little bit of Jamie acting uh, as if he's just trying to be the diplomat and make it all right. Right. And then he very, very abruptly cut into that, oh, but you have a son and it's kind I'm of the, not above yeah. tossing him into a trebuchet if I it, need to. It, it's like that, the, the, um, in his mind, it was plan A has failed. Proceed to plan B. Here's plan B. And there's no transition between the two. It was just a switch. Click. Okay. Now I'm going to throw your kid into the walls. You know, the other thing that we got out of Jamie, and this, aside from when he spoke with his daughter, is the only other time we've really seen him admit this to anyone, where Jamie tells Edmir, look, the only reason I'm here is because I need to do this and to get back to Cersei. Yeah. And I will do anything for Cersei because I love Cersei. Yeah. And that's how he leads into the baby. <laughs> yes. Um, like, so here we have this complete moment of candor that that leads into, oh, and by the way, I can still be a monster if I need to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, it's all about objectives, all right? Um, oh man! So Edmure comes up, and part of their arrangement, of course, as you learn, is for Edmure to go claim the castle from Zelf because he is the rightful lord of the castle of the keep, and to surrender the keep to Jamie. Uh, he does so against the Blackfish's wishes, 
And the Blackfish takes Brienne and Pod down to a secret uh, docking area, puts them on a boat and sends them on their way. And then they offer to bring him with them. And Blackfish is like, nope, uh, I haven't seen a decent sword battle in years. I'm quite likely to make a complete fool of myself. Delightful line. Unfortunately, we don't get to see him make a fool of himself. We are just told later that he didn't survive. Yeah, well, even even when he's told, uh, Jamie's told that the, the the blackfish didn't survive. It's like, uh, sir, the blackfish is. Uh, we found the blackfish, and Jamie's like, "Okay, bring him to me." He goes, uh, "He didn't. He didn't survive." And Jamie's just like, "Oh, okay." And he looks out in the water, and that's when he sees Brienne and Pod floating along. Gives Brienne a little wave. She waves back, and they proceed. And scene. Yeah. We have this great scene in Marine, this delightful scene where Tyrion still won't give up his quest to get his comrades to drink with him. Oh, yes. And this comes shortly after he sees Varysoff, who also won't drink with him. Right. <laughs> Varys is going to, what is Varys going to do? Uh, he just mentions it as a secret mission because one of the things it says is I can't I can't start a secret mission uh, walking I can't be seen on a secret mission walking through the streets with the most famous dwarf in all of Marine. Okay, and then there were three. Yeah. So now we <laughs> right. So now we are just left with Tyrion, Grey Worm, and Messendai, and. They're just sitting around doing what they normally do, kind of Tyrion drinking, getting drunk, trying to convince them to be fun. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he actually manages. He, he, yeah, he manages to get them to crack jokes. Yeah, he and, manages to get uh, Masande to drink and admit that, oh, I kind of like the drink. And yeah. Grey Worm doesn't like the drink, it's spoiled. Yes, that's the point. <laughs> but then uh, Grey Worm ends up with the best joke, you know, so it, it, yeah, it's... But that doesn't end well. No, not so much. Because <laughs> they're interrupted. It turns out that there's a fleet of Master's ships headed their way, and they pissed. Yeah, well, we... So Theon and Yara had just talked about how they were going to go find... Well, Yara was going to go find... The Dragon Queen and, and uh, get their seat back on the Iron or on the uh, uh, Iron Islands, and then these boats show up right outside the city, and that's okay. Cut that episode. That's that's all we see of that. And then come the next episode, the first time we see Marine, there's fire all through the city. The boats are launching um, uh, uh, cannonballs or whatever they're they're projectiles. Fireballs. That, yeah, whatever projectiles they're using. And they're attacking the city, and we find out that it is the Lord Masters come to reclaim their slave property. Yeah. And Tyrion's like, okay, fine, I was wrong. What do we do? Well, we should hold up in the, do they call it the pyramid? Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, Grey Worm's word. He says we could, we could go to the beach, but we would just be out. We can't defend it. We can defend the pyramid, so we will stay in the pyramid and let them come to us. But they fear that maybe that won't work because they hear this noise above them. Come on, don't they know this trick by now? I know this trick by now. That was a dragon landing. I know what that sounds like. It was. And which dragon was it? Oh, Drogon. Drogon. Just, you know, just dropping off Danny. 
Yeah, I mean, she's here now. Hi. (laughs) Didn't that seem, while they were there under attack, didn't that seem like maybe a good time to, I don't know. Test um, the dragon? Utilize your dragon? (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't, they didn't do something like that. I don't know if they're going to allude to it or whatever. I don't remember the next part of this scene. So I thought that was odd too. I, I was expecting, cause I knew Danny was coming back for this. I didn't, I didn't remember exactly how until the thuds on the roof. And when Drogon, uh, Viserion and, um, uh, the other one didn't go and just attack the ships and destroy them all right away. I was like, oh, well maybe, maybe this isn't where I thought it was. It was very, very anticlimactic. Yeah. But when has this show ever had an anticlimactic moment followed up by more anticlimactic moments other than season three? Oh, so many of them. Because <laughs> that's all there was in season three. All right. Um, so you alluded to the one thing that we didn't really talk about, which is we get a couple moments with Theon and Yara. Are they, are they at that weird city on a bridge thing? Um, honestly, I'm not sure exactly where they are. And that's kind of what it looked like. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that was what it was or not, but that's kind of what it looked like. Yeah. So it was definitely the same set. They are there. And, uh, well, Yara has taken full advantage of the brothels there. Meanwhile, that's not really Theon's thing anymore. Right. And without I, his thing. <laughs> that's not his thing without a thing. Yeah, but she convinces him to drink. She gets him to say that he's in it, that he can be the Theon that she knew instead of the Reek that she sees. It's touching in an uh, ironborn kind of way. It is a good scene because it's them bonding and... It's probably the the um, closest or most intimate we've ever seen them together because Yara is such a hard ass and mm-hmm. because Theon has only ever been an asshole or completely broken. Right, right. Um, and that's about all we get out of this scene, though. Yep, yep. They're, they're, they plan that they'll be off tomorrow. In the meantime, you get drunk. I'm going to go have sex with this woman. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, it works. I mean, it, it, it definitely gives you a little, bit of, a little bit of their flavor and kind of gives you some of their direction. So functionally as a scene, it works. I don't know that it really progresses the story much, but that's kind of how this whole... These two episodes are. You don't know that they're really progressing the story much, but there's still so much development internally within each of the little scenes. Uh, I thought well, I think that's, that was my issue with this is that it was one of those scenes where I looked at it and I'm like, well, what was the point of that? Yeah, yeah. it was it was entertaining and okay. We learned that she has an affinity for women. That's fine. Who cares? Right. But when. When I, I look back at this, this is the moment, if there was one, this is the moment where he starts coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. 
All right. That's it. That's it. That's, uh, I mean, again, we talked about a pre-show that didn't seem like there's a whole lot going on here, but we actually, there's quite a bit of little details, which maybe those... It was refreshing to be able to talk about the little things instead of the the grandeur of of it all. True, true, true. Um, yeah. So next week, uh, hopefully, we will have Jenny back with us. We should have Jenny back with us next week. Next week, we get to talk about a season finale. Yes, and if memory serves. Both episodes will feel like a season finale. Two season finales? Yeah, it's kind of great. Awesome. It's kind of great. All right, um, cool. uh, and I don't have them pulled up to see what the names are, so there's that. That's okay. <laughs> um, Richard, where can people find you, man? I am on Twitter pretty frequently, at Richard Gunther. I also host a couple podcasts. Look me up in iTunes. Uh, fair enough, and you can find me. You can find me on Twitter as well at Ethan Kane, E T H A N C A I N E, and Jenny. Uh, she's at least still on Twitter, even if she's not here on the show um, as of late. But you can find her at Jenny J twenty three. It's J E N N I E two or J two three on Twitter. So and do 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 go check out her new show, Very Old Dad. It's yes. amazing. Yes, it is. And you can let us know what we got wrong or what we got right or what you really enjoying or tell us your favorite moment of the show at let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Cool. And we will talk to you next time we talk about thrones. Later. And see Except we missed one thing. Um, here or are you talking about Marine? Oh, we missed two things. <laughs> <laughs> this is I completely forgot about Marine because it just seemed like more of the same. Look, look the Blackwater was the easiest episode because it was all just one scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it really was. I mean, there was very little in between. Yes, we we missed two things. Okay, 